The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen this good part, which will not be taken away from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. From the Old Testament lesson, this is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Amos is arguably the author of the oldest literary book of prophecy in the Old Testament. There are, to be sure, mention of important prophets in the historical books of the Old Testament. We hear of figures like Samuel and Nathan and Huldah and Elijah and Elisha. But the book of Amos may be the first book, which is a collection of the prophecy of one single prophet. It is followed by many others in the same genre. The book has a simple enough organization. It begins with two chapters, which you might call prophecy for easy listening. They are denunciations of the sins of Israel's neighbors. It's always a little bit easier to hear other people denounced for their sins. But then there is a shift in the next four chapters. 
And Amos begins to denounce the errors of the people of Israel themselves. And that is followed by three more chapters in which Amos denounces, Amos announces the visions from the Lord that he has received. And we have as our lesson today the fourth of those visions, the vision of summer fruit. One of the nice things about summer is we get to eat vegetables and fruits that have come from relatively near. It's easier to get hold of organic fruit that doesn't have as much preservative and insecticide on it and a chance to have things which haven't been sprayed by quite so many things. This past week, Marcia bought a bag full of peaches which looked like they were near ripe and were product of the U.S. and looked like they were going to be wonderful. I began to imagine them sliced on breakfast cereal in the morning or with a little bit of ice cream in the evening as a dessert. But the air conditioning didn't keep our house as cool as we'd like, and we were not as attentive as we should have been, and before long we noticed that we had a bowl of rotten peaches on our counter good for nothing but being cast out. That is the image that Amos plays with in this fourth vision. The people of Israel are like summer fruit that has gone bad and good for nothing but destruction. Or to put it in more literal language, I gave you the warning of the nations around you and you did not amend your ways. I gave you denunciation and clear denunciation of the sins of Israel and you did nothing. I shared with you three visions that warned of a coming punishment and you did nothing. And now you are like summer fruit ready to be cast out. And then there is strong language that follows about what will come. It's interesting that this prophecy comes at a time of relative prosperity and security in Israel. It comes during the 40-year reign in the 8th century before Christ of King Jeroboam II, a time where there was enough food and there was enough drink and the people had some cause to be joyful. But Amos sees problems below the surface. There's one remainder of the prosperity of that time that would make a great jeopardy question. If you call a bottle which contains two bottles worth of wine a magnum, and a bottle which contains the equivalent of four bottles of wine, a double magnum, what do you call a bottle of wine which has the quantity of six bottles of still wine? A Jeroboam. Now, that may not be a 3,000-year-old association. It's probably the work of biblically literate wine merchants of the 17th century, but it still survives as one of our measures. 
wine enough to drink, a time of prosperity, people who could harvest their own vineyards, and life was good. But Amos looked beyond and spoke the words of the Lord about the behavior of the people and the land in which he lived. I have been using in the last week in home repairs a little gizmo called uh, Great Stuff. It is spray insulation that you can use around windows and doors and in cracks in your foundation to seal so no air comes in and out and so your cool is preserved or your heat is preserved, whichever time of year it is. In the advertisements you can find on home repair channels for great stuff, it produces a beautiful finish and you're all ready to paint and it looks good, but at least as I try it, the great stuff never stays in the space allotted. And uh, after I spray it in, it comes out of that space and makes things that look like uh, warts or bumps on the wall and there's more to be done to dress the surface when you're finished. Prophets and prophecy work a little bit like great stuff. They never stay in the space where you would like them to stay, or at least where the leaders of the land and where the political leaders of the land would like prophecy to stay. In the book of Amos, King Jeroboam II and the prophet Amaziah of Bethel, the priest Amaziah of Bethel, both would like Amos to tone it down a little bit. Could you just talk about going to worship? Could you just say a few things about citizenship? Why do you have to keep saying all these things about the land? And the prophecy of Amos expands out of the space allotted to him. Amaziah tosses him out of the temple for the language that he has used. Earlier prophets in the historical books largely criticized the king, but Amos expands that vision and criticizes the people as well, particularly the prosperous merchant class. They go to temple and they keep festivals, but he's convinced that even in the midst of worship, they are plotting ways to make more money. You ask, when will the new moon be over? And when will the Sabbath end that we might sell grain? That we might sell our wheat? And they plan ways to cheat the people. They make the ephah small and the shekel great. And they add dust to the grain that they sell. He worries about them, and he says, in the end, they try to buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. He sees much that needs to be repaired and calls on people to repent because it is getting to be too late and the summer fruit is rotting and is ready to be cast out. In the 1970s, there was a local personality in the Washington area whose name was Mitch Daniels. He was an advocate for the homeless and worked with Catholic charities and other groups to try to find housing 
for those who lived on the street. And he would show up in articles in the Washington Post and on the news and whole press conferences. Uh, whenever I saw him, I appreciated his message, but I kept thinking from time to time, wouldn't it be nice if he washed his hair every once in a while? Or couldn't he say that in a little politer way so more people would listen to his message? What is true of prophecy is also true of those who deliver statements of prophecy. They often don't fit in the small box we would like to place them. They're not always well-educated, experienced, accepted religious leaders. They're not just men, they are women, they are not just old, they are young, they are not just free, they are also enslaved. And they stand out and call for repentance. Don't behave in Israel as you have in your business. Don't behave as you have toward the poor. And so as prophets follow in the tradition of Amos, the group becomes larger and more diverse and their topics spread. They talk about war and peace. They talk about hunger and health care. They talk about the needs of immigrants and strangers, of the poor and those in prison. Amos expands a vision and others follow. There is a wonderful little passage in the 18th chapter of Genesis that we didn't hear this morning. It is the story of Abraham and Sarah entertaining three guests to arrive at their tents. They reflect afterwards that those strangers have brought the word of God to them. The author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament recalls that story and says, always be hospitable because you never know when it's angels that you're entertaining as a sign. I think the same thing that could be said about hospitality could be said about prophets. You never know quite who has the word of the Lord in their mouth, and so we ought to listen to other people, not just the court priest, Amaziah of Bethel, but a shepherd and a trimmer of sycamore trees, and the many who have followed after him. We should have our ears open. And Amos warns what happens if we don't. The days are coming, says the Lord, when there will be a famine in the land, not a famine of food, not a famine of drink, but a famine in hearing the word of the Lord. We're warned by Amos to keep our ears open. And the Lord said to Amos, what do you see? And he said, Lord, a basket of fruit. Amen. Amen.